Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Joining us in the classroom today is uh, PJ Hedrington. And uh, Coach Hedrington, really thank you for coming in and uh, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Um, I've actually known Coach Hedrickin or known of him uh, through the Iowa Football Coaches Association for about 13 years. So pretty much my whole uh, time as a high school teacher or a coach. And uh, Coach Hedrickin, your story is amazing. We were just talking the other day about culture. And, uh, you know, you're taking a whole bunch of notes. And I didn't even know what landed you here in Iowa because you're from a totally different part of the world. So why don't you go ahead and just tell our our listeners uh, a little bit about where you come from and your upbringing and um you know weaver and i have recently explored aces so adverse childhood experiences you've got a couple aces in your life and uh just walk us through how you landed in iowa oh first of all thank you guys for uh for covering this and even asking me to do this it's uh it's a privilege and an honor to even to to even know you guys It's, it's great um i don't know how long we have on this podcast i know if i went over my whole story it'll probably be a couple years uh worth of time so I just had to cut my cell phone off. <laughs> um, so, but just thank you. Um, starting out at the beginning of my, my, my life, I mean, I was born in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, my mother and father were, uh, my dad was a high school dropout. My dad, my, my dad was a high school dropout. My mom was a, uh, was a teenage pregnancy. Um, I was a April 4th, 1981 baby. Both my parents again got into drugs, alcohol, uh, decided to, to move to California to maybe change your life, which, which we both know, or all of us knows, it's, it's not a location that changes you, it's your, your choices and things that you do. Um, so I went through, lived half my life there from kindergarten all the way through probably fourth or fifth grade in California. Um, at, during that time, I met my best friend, Fred Gomez, who, who would later in my life become uh, my guardian angel, his mother, Debbie. I called them my white family. So they would literally uh, basically kind of put the imprint on my life and who I was. I bounced back to, got into some trouble in California, bounced back to New York, um, lived there for three or four years, um, and then moved back to California where I had a coach, Corky Napier, um, a wrestling coach there my freshman year, really impacted my life. Uh, we were in and out of shelters on the street um, I went to, I believe I counted seven different elementary schools during that time. Um, so was, there were some gaps, some holes in my education. So I was in and out of school systems, um, shelters on the street, things of that nature, getting in fights, um, things like that. And, and again, I'm a little guy. So when you see me, you would think, oh, no, no, I'm not this guy. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, it just life happens. Um, and then I really had a coach that impacted me, Randy Sills. Uh, he literally changed my life, and 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 and, and he's truly the, one of the reasons why I coach and teach today to serve other people. Uh, he would drive me to practice and from practice um, when my parents weren't weren't available, where they where they were doing their own thing or whatever they were doing. He would take me uh, home. He would also feed me dinner or lunch. Um, he he'd make sure I go to class on time and be in a certain spot where I need to be. Um, and then my best friend's parents. Uh, Debbie and Fred Gomez, they really 
really added the staple because you know a lot of times uh, you know you can get when, when you come from a bad background uh, you don't have anyone to model behavior for you or appropriate behavior you just maybe hear about it or maybe you know see certain things but truly model so Fred and Debbie Gomez really modeled what it is to be a married couple um, and, and again I called them my white family they took me in um, they taught me and they showed me how to actually care and love and so it really put a definition on, on truly who I am. It's amazing. Uh, and then you were probably a better wrestler than you were a football player. That's pretty pretty fair to say. Uh, yeah, I was not a very good football player. Um, I was a special teams guy that, you know, back in the day when you wear the little nose strip and I thought I was cool and I had 15 <laughs> different wristbands and headbands and I thought I was Deion Sanders and I was absolutely terrible. Um <laughs> We had a we, we had Weston Borba who was a I think a three or four time All American at St Mary's College is now closed down. Uh, he he was he was a great player for us. Brent Dinelli was another good player. Cameron Orell who uh, went on to Fresno State and played in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. They were good athletes. And, and and you know I can't stand up to those guys. I'm five foot seven, 135 pounds, 140 pounds. I should have wrestled. Uh, but my passion and my calling was football. And growing up the way I did, I was always goal-oriented. And I've always said, I, I don't want to live like my parents lived. I want to be better than my dad. And one thing my dad did do for me, um, and, and, and still to this day, and I do it with my own kids, is he did a great job giving lectures, and he did a great job of pointing out what you should not do. Mm. And, and, and so, um, and that's where he was. He was definitely, and I hate to say it to this day, uh, do as I say, not as I do. You know, he truly... He truly, when I would ever get in trouble or whatever situation was, he would sit me down, he would lecture me. Of course, I would get punished, but he would clearly say, you want to be better than me, you want that college degree, you want this lifestyle, you have to do this, you can't do what I'm doing. And so I would, I mean, I, I, I catch myself saying that to a lot of my students today. That's amazing. Uh, talk about the guys that you played with, because you had a lot of um, a lot of guys in the secondary. You played in the secondary in, in defense, and uh, you had a lot of guys go on and play at the higher level. So, kind of talk about your pecking order, where you were, and what company was around you. Oh, so in high school, you know, you had the Weston Borbos at Camarillo, uh, my cousin Terrence Harris, um, in Stockard Hill. That was high school, and, and those guys went on to play in college. It has success. And then I called myself trying to go to junior college. Um, I had a couple opportunities to go wrestle up Modesto Junior College in Fresno City. Um, and I turned those down to go play football at Merced. Um, and I, I walk into a just a, oh my, I was just a storm of great athletes in the secondary. Uh, BJ Austin from Merced College, Morris Nutt. I mean, these guys are from like Edison and Fresno, or Ricky Manning, who played with the Carolina Panthers. I mean, these guys were just, we were just loaded in the backfield. And there was, there was probably six or seven of us that were, were, were decent. Um, and then, so we rotated and I, of course, you know, I played special teams and rotated in here and there and, and they were just, they were good. So my freshman year, um, I got, I, I got frustrated and just knew, Hey, you know what? I, I football is, I'm not going to play football after college. I know that I'm five foot six on a good day, five foot seven, maybe. So I know I'm going to be an educator. Um, and so I knew the Midwest was where I wanted to be, whether it was Minnesota or Iowa or Kansas. Um, and so I put my name in the hat and I left after my freshman year where those guys left after their sophomore years and they were they were division one type guys. I mean, I was the lowest level of division three 
at Upper Iowa. Well, those guys, I mean, those guys went on and played some, some big-time football. So then after your college days, Upper Iowa, um, talk about what drew you into coaching. And uh, I know you were part of a state championship team here. And so talk a little bit about that as an assistant coach, like what that learning curve was like when your playing days were done. Okay. Um, you know, and I knew, like I said, I, I, I knew my calling. My calling, God's calling for me was to be a football coach. And um, it happened that I ended up in Atlantic, Iowa, chasing a girl, my, 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 my two sons, uh, their mom. Um, and I turned down a job back in my hometown and stayed in Atlantic, Iowa, where Gaylord Schelling was the head, was the head football coach, a Hall of Fame guy. Uh, if you've ever met him, he's just a caring and loving person, um, and he, he's an ex in those guys. He just, he's, he's a great man. And I told him when I first met him, I showed up at his door in a blue shirt and a tie. Um, and in Southwest Iowa, a black guy shows up to your door in a shirt and tie, <laughs> and you're like, what is going on? And I showed up, and he had the dog rhino barking, and uh, – and he interviewed me, and his interview was literally me sitting on, and I had my notebook, and I had my shirt tie on, and he was just sitting in shorts and socks and a shirt, and he's just asking me questions, you know, what do you care, you know, do you care about kids? And he just, a lot of those type of questions, and they weren't really X's and O's, it was just, hey, how do you how do you spend time caring for kids? What do you do, you know, in the off season? Or how do you, and he just asked, and we just sat down and talked about that. So he knew I wanted to be a head coach, and he said, hey, you know what, I am going to mentor you and help you become the head coach that you want to be. And so my goal for him was I told him, I said, my goal is I want to be your best assistant coach. And Lee Satoff, who's there now still, was a, was a good assistant coach. You had Rasmussen. I mean, so you had good assistant coaches, but I, I just, I wanted to be his best and wanted to be truly loyal to him. Um, and so he taught me how to, how to, how to care and how to do, do things the professional manner and the professional way. So I ended up with him for two years. Um, and then I was like, you know what, I, I need to go out and, 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 and test, the, test the waters by myself. So my first full-time job as a teacher and a uh, football coach, because I was a volunteer in Atlantic, was a Dare Casey, an eight-man school. Um, I had no clue what I was doing. And still to this day, I wonder how I did it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm glad those kids were better than my mistakes. Um, I was under Wade Anderson. So I was two years there in a Dare Casey, three years at Clarita Academy, which is a school similar to like a gridiron game type of deal. Brad Knight, who's eventually going to be a Hall of Fame coach in the state of Iowa, he was a double wing guy. He was at Galva Holstein. He was uh, he was kind of he was my mentor. He hooked me up with Hugh Wyatt, who's a double wing uh, guru in Washington. Um, so I was there, and then I decided, you know what, I wanted to uh, to try to be a head coach. So I put my name in the hat for a head coaching job in Shenandoah took over an 0-29 program, and I was excited. You know how you get that first head job, you're all excited, you're ready to go, and, you know, the, the world can't stop you. Um, and what I didn't realize was how big the culture impact was in Shenandoah and all the things that were out of my control. And, you know, I just thought it was just a small bubble of, of, of culture with the football program where really it was a bigger deal. Um, and so I was the AD assistant principal, or, or not the assistant principal, the dean of students, per se. Um, and so I took over. We won three games. And, and again, I, I, you know, as a head coach, a young head coach, you deal with so many different things from a political standpoint, um, especially when you're a minority coach in a small white town, predominantly white town, you're going to deal with different things and different avenues that approach you 
um, at a different rate. And so um, I, I was I was fired or my contract wasn't renewed um, after my first year. I signed a contract and everything was great. And then um, clearly uh, I, I didn't get invited back. They fired, was fired on my birthday, April 4th. On a, it was a Saturday, I was fired on my birthday. Uh, interviewed at Kemper Catholic on a Monday, hired on a Wednesday, house up for sale on the Friday. Um, the following Friday, my house sold. Um, and so you talk about God's mysterious ways of doing things to pray about it. My wife at the time, Megan, uh, we, we prayed about it and we just, it, it happened. And, 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 you know, it's not some um, magical thing. It's just, it's, I think it was just a part of the journey. So we go to Kemper Catholic. With, with Church, I want to, I want to stop you right there. I want to stop you right yeah. there. Cause you, yeah. here's where, here's where I am is listening to your story and it. You got your first <laughs> head job. You got your first yeah. head job. And yeah. with that first head job, you you took a 0 and 29 team and you won three games. Yes, that's that's pretty good. And we're let go. Yes. Mm. Now here, here's my next question to you. All right, I'm just wrapping my head around all this stuff. So here's my next question to you. When you you brought up an awesome point of of culture, and when did you not maybe when you but when did you start seeing the the culture piece play a bigger role than the scheme that you ran when you were as an assistant coach that made you start maybe understanding hey I, it doesn't really matter what I run X and O wise it's how I treat these kids in relationships when did you start figuring that out um for me it was um it was never about how I treated the kids it was a, the culture of what was before me uh. or in the building or in the community so that was never that was never the case it was just you know when you come in your job as a head coach is to sell yourself to sell your philosophy so you know sell yourself but be genuine and be who you are and that's who I was Uh, but for me when you take over a losing program and I think you you, again as well as you know this and everyone else there's more outside influence than what you would ever know Mm -hmm. and even sometimes with with, within your own assistant coaches or however, however it was made up um that's the part of the culture that I think a lot of people forget about, and and, and, and the, you know. So perennial perennial loser to a three game winner. <laughs> hey, this guy, we've won more games in one year than we did in the last twenty nine. But let, let, why are we letting this guy go? I'm just I'm scratching my head. So, coach, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Well, <laughs> and you and you know it, it doesn't just happen to to a guy like me. It happens to a lot of coaches out there, um, and. For me, it was there was so much negative that was going on in the community at the time, uh, bigger than me, and so I was just a small portion of of of, uh, of that. And sometimes during those community those those types of communities, the reason why they're losing is because you know poor decisions, right. poor administration, poor choices, blah, blah. And so those things are so much bigger than just me. Right. So and it's so, almost like you're in a no-win situation. You're you're in, you're really in a no-win situation. Right. You really right. are. Right. Um, you can try to do the best you can. Um, you can put your best foot forward. You can impact lives as much as you can, but ultimately it's above your head. Right. And so you just have to hold on and just, you know. And so for me, you know, after Shenandoah was, was a learning, I mean, it hurt. It, it really did. My wife and I cried, um, and, and, and I went into a little bit of depression, um, and, and and I started to drink. And I, and I don't drink anymore, but it was just, it was, you know, you're taught as an athlete to give your best effort and to, and, and to put your best foot forward. And then when you do that and something's taken away from you, 
you're just like, wow, what, you know, what, what am I doing? Like, what, what, what did I do wrong? Right. Um, and then you do a lot of, you know, I'm a very self-reflective person. So you reflect as all coaches mostly are, you reflect on what you did, what you did, right. What you did wrong. How could you change things? What can you build? So you reflect on those things and then you take it and you chalk it up and you go on to the next opportunity and, and, and you're, you're better well served for other kids and other people in the community. So good. Right. I mean, that was a good question. Good stopping yeah. point. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I remember where I left off too. <laughs> um, so I, at Kemper Catholic, I met Chad Klein, and the very first thing I, the very first thing I remember was, you know, all these kids were helping me move some of my apartment, and Chad walked up and said, "You will, you will enjoy our community. It's a good Catholic community. It's 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 faith based. You will love our school system. People will love you and treat you with respect." Um, and I was fortunate to have Chad, and also have Scott Fadebong, who was a Drake alum who was a great athlete at Drake and, and eventually helped me get the job there later. And, and I'll continue with the story. Um, but he was our offensive coordinator. Chad was our head coach. I was kind of like the middle man of every weird kind of deal. Um, I, I was, I was just a guy just to kind of help out kind of like a coach analyst or coach. Just, just, just have, I was just a guy there to, you know, be there to, to, to coach and enjoy the time and learn and, and maybe share some stories or expertise experience. Um, and our first year, we went to the semifinals. We had a great group of kids. Uh, we lost to a Spirit Lake team who went on to win the state title that year. Um, they were they had a great run. Uh, our next year, Scott had left. I was promoted to a quarterbacks coach, defensive back, and passing game coordinator um, with Mike Murtis, who's now the offense coordinator at Kemper. Uh, he was a run game, I was a pass game, and we had an offense coordinator named Ryan Colleen, um, who I believe is still there. I mean, PJ, PJ, I want you to talk about that for a minute because that, to me, when when I first heard that, that is uncommon. That is not how coaching should be done, right? Where you have an offensive, you've got an offensive staff, and you've got a run game expert and a passing game expert, and the two don't communicate except through the OC. No. Well, it, well, for us, it was. I mean, Mike and I are good friends, and we're still good friends now. Um, and, 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 and I'm sorry, I guess I meant, I guess I mean that you don't speak the same language. Like, the oh, run yeah. game doesn't know anything about the passing game. The pass game doesn't know anything about the run game. So I'm sorry about that. But talk a little bit about what challenges that brings. Well, you, you know, we, we had, we had a, again, Ryan Colleen was our offensive coordinator. And he, you know, his only experience was at Kemper. And he was our JB coordinator. Uh, and, and, and Ryan, I mean, he, he knows, you know, certain things about football and he, you know, he had, he, he had some good points and good things and he, and he helped, I mean, we want to say title. Um, but Mike Murtis was very good. Um, he was a very, he's a very good offensive line coach. Um, and he's someone actually, uh, next week, I'm going to talk to him about inside zone stuff. Um, he's very, very well reserved. He's just, he's a quality guy. Our talent was so unreal. It didn't matter who coached. Like it did. I mean, it really. And, and I love our kids, and I love our coaches. But those guys were those guys were great kids, and our coaches did a good job putting them in spot. But but our kids were just they were good. They were really good kids, and we were de- and we were deep and, and a lot of depth. And we were we were blessed and fortunate with really good kids. Um, so I was a pass game coordinator there. We won a state title. It was great. Cole Neary was our quarterback, who better went to Drake to play. Who I get to see every day now in the building, so it's kind of fun for me. Uh, I learned a lot from him. Um, and, I, and I don't know how much he learned from me, but I learned a lot from him. Um, and then, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to go put my name in the hat to be a head coach again. I applied, uh, interviewed in a small town called Four City, took the job. 
there. Uh, again, didn't know what, you know, when, when you do these, if, if I had to advise any young coach, uh, when you go and you interview at a place, you know, yes, you, you interview the administration. Yes, you ask the certain questions. Yes, you snoop around to see, you know, what the other assistants are like. But in the state of Iowa, you can't replace assistant coaches. And so you, you get what you got. And so for me, I was walking into a, a again, not a lose-lose situation, but a tough situation where co-head coaches uh, basically ran out the other guy and, and I came in and, and I tried to play it as, as close as I could play it, do those things. And, and, and again, sometimes those things are over your head and you're just trying to trying to make it. So we ended up having my first year for City. We were ranked 10th um, at about week four. Then we lost to an Osage in overtime, and then we just it just kind of went, went from there. They retained me. I, I signed my contract, my teaching job, and then after my contract, let go again. Okay? Second time. Let go, let go again. Second time. And then um, – I just, my wife and I was there since again. I was like, oh my God, this is the second time this has happened to me. And so they kept me as a teacher, but they didn't keep me as their coach. So I was good enough to, I was good enough to teach, but not good enough to coach football. What, so what reason like, okay. did they give you? What reason did they give you? Uh, I, there really wasn't, a, I mean, there really wasn't, I mean, he had a list of things and you know how, you know how it works. They pick on, you know, hey, you, you didn't do this or you said this or you did you know that's I mean they just they give you different things and they say well you said this or you said that or this kid doesn't like this or you don't have control and they just come up with reasonings right. and so it, it's it's again if if I was if I was telling a young coach to go into a program to build a program I would say just be careful of where you go and make sure you do all your homework on everything that, that they do um, and so for me Okay, yeah, I made my mistakes, whatever. That's fine. Chalk it up as a loss. Um, I was more concerned about my family. So I end up uh, I end up helping out like some other schools. Uh, a good friend of mine, Annie Jacobs, and they were going to Paul Hash, who was at Clarion, helped him out um, and just did some film breakdown, kind of analyzed stuff. So I, I always stayed involved. And again, I was always involved with the journal, the IFCA. So I was on the board. So I always kept staying involved. And I was just like amazed this happened to me twice. Okay. And, and so I was shocked, but, but there's always in any adverse situation, there's always a lesson. And, and we tell our kids to move on to a next play. And, and I would be a goofball or a hypocrite if I would have just stayed and would have quit, you know, where I talked to a lot of guys and a lot of guys were like, Hey, you know, I would have just quit. Nah, that's just not my makeup. Um, so I was blessed with, a, with, with the opportunity to interview at Roosevelt. And at the same time I was interviewing, uh, Eric Link was interviewing at the same time. Um, and, him and I, him and I had known each other through like Iowa State and, and things of that nature. He they recruited my brother to play football there at Iowa State one time, and so I did not get the job, but Eric did. And so Eric called me, called around. Yep, which was fine because Eric. I mean, Eric was a was a special teams coach at uh, Auburn with Chizik and and with Gus Malzone. So and he was trying to get back this way, and so. He, he got the job. Him and I met at a Starbucks in Ankeny, and we talked about philosophy. And I just remember the first thing I told him. I said, "Listen, I, I just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Um, you know, I would love to work for you, but I'm not a yes man. That's just not. You know, I want to be a head coach someday again. It's just that's my call. That's who I am. I'm not. A, I'm just not a yes man. I just I just I can't. It's not in my blood. Um, 
and he, he loved me and I loved him and it was it was great. So I was his D coordinator for two seasons and then the, this is where the part this is where JT loves his part. Um, so Link is is again he's a Drake grad. He coached at Drake, so he has all these connections to Drake and all these connections to Division One program. He decided the day before camp or a couple days before camp, he leaves to go take a special teams coordinator position at Louisiana Tech. Yes. So not a lot of four, not a lot of not a lot of high school guys make that jump to go. Right. So he leaves, and guess who he leaves in charge to run the program? Yes. They didn't even name me. And, and again, everyone in the room was like, "Yeah, PJ should be, you know, an intern." Blah, blah, blah. But they didn't label me the intern. They gave me some like some weird name uh, because the one public school didn't want a lawsuit or something. So they gave me like I don't even know what it was. It was just weird. It was just absolutely weird. So I did all the the parent stuff, all the emails, all the blah blah blah. So all the negative things, all the oh, they called me the point person. That's what they called me, and uh, the point person. And so when I joked around, I said, yep. So when everything goes bad, they point right at me. So that's okay. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be the point person. I'll be the guy that when everything hits the fan, I'll be, I'll be the guy. Okay, I got it. Uh, so, and, and I remember, you know, I, I, I was calling the defense and I had a, and Eric left me. And one mistake I made, and I love Eric to death, and I talk, I talk to him about this all the time, is I, I, I sat down with both uh, both guys I wanted to be kind of an offensive coordinator with, uh, and I chose the guy that was closer to Eric when I should have chosen the guy that maybe would have been a better fit mm-hmm. right away. And so what I did was I gave this guy an opportunity, young guy. Um, he, he didn't he didn't uh, hold his part. He didn't do the things that he needed to do. His ego was probably in the way more than so. So I gave him an opportunity, and as a head coach. Um, I think we all kind of know, um, hey, when the head coach speaks, it's 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 law. You just do you do what you need to do. It's 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 for the best of the team and not just himself. And so I gave him an ultimatum, gave him a choice. He chose. He made his choice. So I end up calling. I end up giving the defense to another guy there. I called the offense with the other guy split. We won two or three more games after that, um, and then we end up eventually losing to. Uh, Southeast Polk, who went to the playoffs and was in the semifinals that year, and they had a great running back and, and a great they had a great team. Period. Um, so, with that said, I was you know I wanted to I, I kind of wanted the job. Um, I was just you know excited at the end of the season. I took a deep breath. I was like you know what if I get this job I get this job. But what I did um, is, is is again you, you start hearing and and I, I've done this and JT said this I've done this for a long time and you start hearing different rumors, different things out there. And so, well, they wanted another guy, a rah-rah-rah guy. They wanted someone else in the building. So for me, I was just like, you know what? That's fine. I'm going to think of my family and myself and my career. Uh, I've reached out to a couple couple other schools. Um, and so before I go in that interview, I had an opportunity lined up. I interviewed, didn't get the job, um, made a phone call, and, uh, and Coach Steph Phelps at Drake, invited me at Drake and, and, and not very many high school guys can go from being a high school football coach to coaching at, a, at an FCS school, a private school in Drake. And, and, and that, you know, my story is an amazing story. It's a blessing. I hated it while going through it. And I, <laughs> but to end up where I'm at now, 
Um, and and it's 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 great. The people I work with is absolutely they're absolutely outstanding. Well, well PJ, like one of the things Weaver and I talk about is Seth Godin's thing of being a purple cow. So like if you see a black cow or you see a brown cow or you see a white cow, it doesn't really shock people. But boy, if I saw a purple cow here on the side of the road, like I would stop, maybe take some pictures, put it on Snapchat. Like <laughs> Weaver and I are purple cows. You're a purple cow. And uh, when we talk about being different, especially in, and for those of you that aren't familiar with the geography of Iowa, Shenandoah is in the southwest corner of the state. Forest City is in the north central part of the state. Des Moines is the hub of the state. I mean, for someone who has no Iowa roots, like you are different. You're a purple cow and you come in and what advice would you give somebody else who's a purple cow too? That's maybe going through the same challenges. Maybe their staff isn't as united as they want it to be. Maybe uh, people look on them different because they're different from the community that they're in. They're an outsider. What advice would you give other people that are purple cows too? Hold on. That's, <laughs> I think that's the first thing I would, I would give them. Hold on tight. Uh, you know, don't be discouraged. Um, know who you truly are as a person. Uh, and that's really the biggest thing that I have learned through all this. And again, I, I thought I had to fight depression on top of all this. Um, is know who you are as a person, a father, a Christian, whatever you, whatever your beliefs are, and hold on true to those. Know your values, know your core beliefs, and stick to them. And, and know your, you know, you hear people talk about, well, know your why. Well, trust the process. Well, you have to know exactly who you are to 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 be able to be different and 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 to to give. Um, for me, my my God put me on earth to, to serve and to 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 show, share my story with people and to impact the lives of young people, no matter where 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 it is, whether it's the building, you know. And the one thing that you know we're talking about coaching, but here's how unique my my life is. I'm in a building in Des Moines Public School. I teach at Alternative School, two separate buildings, K through 12, at-risk kids, uh, kids with special needs, um, autistic kids with with juvenile records. So I'm in Des Moines. As an African-American male, I am in the heart of Des Moines. And Des Moines has only had four, now four, because we just hired Tyrone uh, Tyrone Taylor at Hoover. Des Moines has only had four African-American head coaches. The state of Iowa, we've only had 14. So here I am, being that purple cow. I'm in a building in your home in in Des Moines, and I'm not a head coach, and which is fine, which is, which is totally fine with me. Um, and so for me, some people don't understand what a purple cow, as you say, or someone that's different and someone that understands, okay, um, what a kid of maybe a minority kid or a kid with a bad home life goes through. So for me, uh, an opportunity comes, an opportunity comes. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just blessed and fortunate to share with my students and, and the players that I coach. Um, I want you to talk for a minute about what you're doing at Drake. So you're primarily defensive-minded, right, as a coach and, and as a player. Those were, that's where you excelled. Um, I want you to talk about what you do in your downtime. So if the defense isn't on the field, talk about what you're able to do with your role at Drake. Well, Coach, Coach, I, I, first I have to give uh, Coach, Coach Stepp um, just, I mean, he's an amazing coach. Uh, for someone that took over his first year and he was a defensive guy, you talk about someone who was so calm and reflective and just sit back and he would just think about things. And, and he had another great guy on the staff. who was a running back coach. Now he's the offense coordinator, Kirk Warrett, Kirk Warrett. Um, 
Kirk was underneath Dan Mullen and Urban Meyer. I mean, he was a head coach at NAI school for 10 years. And then you had me, then you have Willie Cash, who, who was at Iowa City. I mean, or not, I was at Iowa, Iowa um, Western. Um, and then a young guy, a couple other young guys. I mean, so you're walking into a great staff. And what Coach, um, and what coach Step has done is not only is it about football, it's about family life and about the quality of life. And so for me, we sat down, and I'm a volunteer, so I don't get paid. I put in all the hours that I put in. I break down film. Um, I have five children of my own, so what I wanted was I wanted to be a dad and a football coach and a teacher. So for me, I go coach, and then when my son has a game or my daughter has something, I tell Coach Step, hey, buddy, I got to go. I got to be a dad. He understands, and he also knows that I'm going to break down film and take care of my responsibility, um, and, and he knows that. But for, for me – so I coached D-line, um, and they immediately came in, and Coach, and, and coach Cash said, hey, PJ, you're going to learn this, you know, learn in the spring. The, we got the great thing of spring ball. You'll learn in the spring and the fall. You're going to take over for some things here and there, and then we'll meet back together, and we'll do team stuff. And then they said, well, if you're not going to help scout, you could sit around on the offense, and you can learn and, and help us out there. So that, that's what I do. So I, I coach during uh, individual time. I help out with if I need to spot the ball, I spot the ball. I have a special team segment I help with. Um, and then on offense, I just go over and take my notepad and take notes, pick up things that, that, that maybe someday that, well, I will use someday. Well, you said something that, that, that got me, that got my attention. And, you know, you hear Dabo Sweeney talk about this all the time. But you mentioned that I'm a dad. You said I'm a dad. And when I have to go watch my son or my daughter – do it, play a game, maybe it's a piano recital, maybe it's a dance competition, you're going to go to that. Uh, can you express to our listeners who are a lot of coaches who listen to our podcast the importance of being a dad and what that entails, like of being a coach and understanding it. And look, we're in this weird time where we're all at home now. Like we're with COVID-19 going on, we're all at home. Uh, but the importance <laughs> yeah. of just being a dad and balancing that professional life versus your family life. Well, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to my childhood. My father was an alcoholic. Um, and the memory that I have of him coming, he, he only came to one game. And not even a game. He came to the end of the game. He was drunk. Um, I intercepted the ball. Um, and he, you know, he was there. He gave me a hug. He said, hey, good job. You know, that, that's my memory of my dad and that sports role is that so that I have to I'm 40 I'm almost 40 years old so I will always live with that memory Mm. and for me growing up the way I did I said I'm never going to give my kids ever give my kids that type of memory of me so I again my sons live in Atlantic Iowa and I have three other kids that live in Minnesota I if I have to drive to Minnesota stop what I'm doing to get in the car and drive I will if I need to drive to Atlantic to watch my son I score a touchdown against Denison I'm gonna do it Okay, and, and and usually when I go to, to places, uh, people are like, "Hey, Coach H, you know, hey, how are you doing?" And in Southwest Iowa, a lot of people know me. Uh, again, there's not a lot of minority coaches that will come through, and so people are like, "Hey, I know, I know him." So for my sons, it's a it's a great thing to have a father who's been around, and it's it's just they know. Okay, my dad's a. We in our house we live by faith, family, football. We mm-hmm. all have that motto kind of, and so my sons know that. And so at the end of the day, when I die, my sons aren't going to remember if I was a great football coach or not, or if I was a great fisherman. 
or a card player, which I'm horrible at, they're going to remember, okay, how did he treat me? Right. You know, how, how did he, how did he leave a legacy with me? And that's how I want my players to be. And some of my players, and, and I did this a couple of weeks ago, actually a month ago. Um, I sent the text to some of my players, Hey, what type of coach was I to you? And a lot of great feedback. Of course you get the one knucklehead that didn't like you because you didn't play him. That says, well, I hated your guts. Okay. I did my job. <laughs> right. See, I think about the movie and we just recently watched this. I think about when you were telling that story about if I got to go watch a game, I'm going to go watch a game, the movie hook. And I think we've all seen the movie hook and the dad's on the phone, you know, um, uh, God, what's his name? Robin. Oh man, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. And he's always on the phone doing things, and he misses. And the, his son Jack's at the plate, and he he's not there. And he sends his guy a video camera, and you know that lasts the memory until you know he finds out he's Peter Peter Pan and all that stuff. Then the whole story goes on. But that one moment in that in that scene that scene in that movie, we just kind of reflect back like that's what kids remember. Not the fact. So the fact that my daughter last night wanted to learn how to ride a bike. So she learned how to ride her bike in two hours, which is pretty cool. But yeah, that moment good. of, you know, like she got up this morning, she's like, I want to go ride my bike. I want to go ride my bike. So it's being there for our kids. And I think you brought up a great point of, uh, of balancing not only our professional being a football coach is what we do, but who we are at home and we're first a parent uh, to our children. Right. right. And I think that's what I like about your story too, Coach Hedrington, is like a lot of guys are X's and O's, right? Like right. a lot of guys are like, like I can tell you the inside and outside of our beer running game because that's who I am. That's my job. That's what we do in Denison. We're going to continue to do that probably as long as I'm here and then beyond. Um, right. What What's different though, and you said it earlier when you were talking about Coach Schnelling, is like you don't have to be an X and O guy to make a huge difference. In fact, you guys won a state championship in Atlantic you know, not because you have the best athletes, but maybe because you cared just a little bit more than other coaches that year. And yep. uh, I think that's really the message that you're getting at. Uh, it, it, it is. Um, you know, and I, you know, and you and I, I think we talked about this the other day when I when I called you, you know, the perception that as a high school guy, for me going into Drake was, oh my gosh, these college guys are going to know so much more than me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, they, they know everything and blah, blah. And the, one of the very first conversations I had with the Drake coaches and we were all talking is they, they said it themselves, you know, there's high school coaches that are better than college coaches and there's college coach and there's, and there's college coaches that are better than high school. Well, no duh. But he, a lot of us were talking about the impact of a coach that cares is greater and the relationship that a coach has is greater than any type of knowledge. And, and it's true. It, it really is. Because kids don't, you know, that old adage, kids don't, don't care how much you know. I mean, they don't. They really don't. They care how much you care. Now, in today's society where kids are more kind of, and we've got into this too, where you've got to kind of entice kids and you got to kind of sell yourself. And it's about where I'm in this, you know, still at the end of it all, kids don't really care about if you can run inside fear or you run inside zone or jet sweep, they want to know, okay, how can you help me this way? Mm. And, and, and that's, that's, that's really it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there's one other piece of the story that I want to explore and I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, but I want you to talk about when you're the head coach and uh, you had an offensive coordinator at one of your stops that was awful. I think the way you said it was you won you won a state title with maybe the worst offensive coordinator in the history of football, <laughs> something like that. But uh, 
I want you to talk about how, if you've got someone on your staff, because you're right, we inherit our staffs, right? And in Denison, one of the things that we say is believe in the best intent. We want to believe that the people that we have on our staff are good people and they're going to help us get to where we want to go at the end of the day. Talk about how you as a head coach have to weather that storm a little bit if you can't rely on people as much. Well, it, it puts a lot of pressure on you as a coach. I mean, especially as, as, as the head coach, um, you you are responsible. Your name is on the dotted line. Um, it, people, The finger's pointed at you. And, and it, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you're a control freak or you're a dictator or you're whatever. Um, no, I'm just the guy that, that, that is, is taking full ownership of the program. And so what you have to do is, is again, you have to try to do your best to coach that, that, that coach up um, and, and provide opportunities for that coach, maybe give them some time. Um, but the number one thing you can never, never waver on is loyalty and trust. And so if you have that coach that is not going to listen to you or not going to trust what's, it doesn't matter your background or his back. It doesn't matter. Loyalty is the number one thing. And that that's wholeheartedly um, one of the things that I, I don't waver on. If, if I tell you as a head coach, Hey, you know what? You need to run a dive and then kick a field goal for us to win the game. And all of a sudden you throw a trips, right? You throw a bubble, or you throw a fade route and it gets in, intercepted. Uh, yeah. You and I are going to have a conversation that you may not like. And so, um, I'm not afraid to do what I need to do uh, for the betterment, not of just myself, but of our program and of our kids and of our community. If that means sitting you down and saying, hey, listen, you know, we've got to fix this. And again, the same thing goes for me. If you need to sit me down and say, hey, Coach Hedrington, you know, you're a little tight here. Hey, you know, that's a part of being a learner and reflective is being open to, to your criticism and anyone else's criticism. Yeah, I think a lot of time, though, it's, it's... – people don't like making those decisions and like having those hard conversations with people, you know, I, you know, I, I, they don't, um, a lot of people don't like conflict or issues or, you know, hurting someone's feelings. Now I think there's a way to go about that right. and having a professional conversation and there's a way not to go about it. Like there's one thing I will never do. And I, and I say this to all my coaches that I've been on staff, um, you will never shout or yell with another coach in front of kids and some people will say oh that's okay that's all it's all right it's just us being competitive to me it is the ultimate disrespect because you don't want a husband and a wife sitting there yelling and screaming in front of children so why would you want two coaches that are 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 impacting each other and yelling and going at each other on the sideline if you want to have that conversation go away from the kids have that conversation and make sure that at the end of that conversation you may not agree with each other you may not like each other but you respect each other in a professional manner and you move on. And if it isn't best for our kids or our program, then we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I think you lose credibility when that happens. When, Especially yep. maybe it's the head coach and an assistant coach going, maybe it's in a drill or a, a, something that's going on. And, you know, they pull yep. that, they pull that, I'm the, I'm the HC. And you're like, yep. can we not have this behind closed doors? You know, you always want to have those behind closed doors for that mutual respect. I mean, we're, we're grown adults. And yeah. let's act like it. And let's, let's not revert back to a 17-year-old who is going to yeah. yell at somebody and it's not face-to-face. Now they do it on Snapchat. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, I'm not a big Snapchat person when it comes to, to having a conversation. I right. mean, I'll send right. a picture of my kid, but if I want to talk to you, I'm going to pull you aside. And, have a, and, and that's, that is one of the big differences in our, in our, in our uh, communities today. 
is we haven't taught our kids how to deal with conflict properly. Right. You know, instead of, 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 of dealing with it or talking to a teacher or an educator, uh, our kid goes home and talks to their parent, and then the parent talks to the, the, the coach or the educator. Right. So, and that's 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 something that in, in my football programs I've always preached, hey, please make sure you talk to me. Be comfortable enough to, to, to talk to me. And if you can't, send me a text and then I'll come talk to you. Right. I think that's part about being a man. You know, growing yeah. up and being a man, it's it's dealing with that conflict, having those hard conversations, looking somebody in the eye. You know, God gave us two ears and two eyes for a reason. You know, yeah. you want to look somebody in the eye uh, and you yeah. want to listen with both ears. And it's the reason why you have one mouth, you know. We want to oh, yeah. listen more yeah. than we talk. So, great, great points there. Great points. Yeah. The, kind of the last thing that I've got, Coach Tedrington and uh, – Coach Weaver and I are big on an identity. I mean, I just published an article uh, in the football journal that you ran for 2020. Um, it was amazing, by the way. Lots of great content in there for Iowa football coaches to sharpen their axe and get better. Um, I, I did mine on identity, the stone cutter. You know how we're running backs, you pound the stone, and eventually the stone's going to split. You know, you might have a, a gain of five. You might have a, a loss of two. You might have a one-yard gain in the middle. And then eventually you're going to break it, though, right? Like, if you stay with it, and the run game's going to help. Weaver does an incredible job with his uh, ARB and his Air Raid Brigade. And, uh, you know, there's a whole lot more on that. But one, thing's that, one of the themes we, we pulled into the culture classroom is the power of identity. And I want you to talk a little bit about what you guys do at Drake to build identity within position groups and to build relationships with kids. Well, you know, and you and I have talked about this a couple of days ago. Um, at the high school level, it's totally different than, than the college level. The college level, um, our position coaches do a wonderful job of getting the one-on-ones with players. You know, they got player meetings. Uh, Coach Cash is, is someone I work with. And so I could just tell you a little bit about what we do. Um, but defensive line play, I mean, he does anywhere from film study. Um, we, we incorporate a candy man. So if you touch a ball during the game, it, you know, we, we put it on, he puts it on the screen and it says candy man. And we all yell candy man. The kids love it. Um, and these are college kids. So that, that's one of the, he walks around with a stick. Um, coach Sip was, is a, who's a hall of fame coach um, at a Drake. I mean, great player. He coached at Johnson a long time ago. But he was definitely a um, he was definitely an impact and influence for Coach Cash. Um, so we have our meetings. We do a, a Christmas football football Christmas something like that, where he gives mugs to the leaf of the line Christmas mugs, and they get you know if they have a good play, you get a drink of water and you drink. And so I was just you know again I took and I do a journal. I, I you know I journal a lot, and so I would journal all the things that he did. And, and I would I would absolutely love it. I mean, it was it's 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 great. Coach Ware, our running backs coach, who's now offensive coordinator, he does a devotion with his players. He does some dinners. Our linebackers coach does some things. Uh, so the, the way we impact our kids is is by relationship, and, mm-hmm. and that starts with our head coach, Coach Step. I mean, he truly is a relationship guy. Our family's allowed to come out. My sons, uh, like they love our our deep. We got a great stud D lineman named Gavin. Uh, my kids love him to death. They follow him on Twitter, on Snapchat. They need to have a relationship with him. They're communicating with him. Um, so, I mean, that's that's really where it starts for us. At the high school level, you know, I, I, I'd always try to encourage our coaches, hey, have a great relationship. Be careful how you have that relationship, though. Like, you know, some people, it's, it's texting or whatever it is. 
Um, for me, it was just, hey, have a relationship with your kids, whatever you're texting, or if it's a group text or a group, whatever, make sure that I'm included on it so I can always have something to protect you mm-hmm. um, or maybe administrator or something like that. But you have to have a relationship with your position groups. So, um, and that's that's one of the things that I preach with. Yeah, I think that's big. I really think that's big. Uh, you yep. know, how you build that, how you cultivate it, you know, for us with, with our receivers. Um, it's kind of a weird story for me, but I was the head junior high coach. I was the OC prior to our new head coach coming. New head coach comes in, asked me to be the junior high head coach. I was like, sure, I'm still on staff. I love it. Um, I was also the head boys track. Well, then these last two years, he's asked me to come up and be our receivers coach. And we throw the ball a ton. And, uh, you know, I just – I thought, hey, if we're going to be asked to do a lot and catch a lot and block a lot, then uh, we're going to have to build some kind of identity with us. So I, I started the ARB with our guys. We had a bunch of cool things go on. They have call signs. There's a bunch of cool things that go. But you, you hit the nail on the head with relationships. You know, uh, it goes back to the old Zig Ziglar thing that you said earlier. They don't know how much you – they don't know – they don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. And when those guys know that, hey, I have your back. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be there for you. Whether it's, hey, you need to go get some food from McDonald's and you can't drive yet and nobody's home and you're really hungry and you really want McDonald's. Hey, if you need me, call me. Yeah. Uh, I think it turns into that to where they trust you and there's that trust aspect uh, inside of an athletic realm. But it starts with, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that. It's relationships, uh, coach. And I mean, and it, it, it truly is. And, um, and sometimes those relationships, um, when like for me, when I took over at Shenandoah and Four Cities, sometimes those kids have a relationship with prior coaches mm-hmm. on the, the staff that you have. And maybe those coaches aren't loyal, but those high school kids don't know that. Right. And so when you come into a new situation, you have to be very delicate and careful how you handle those things. Right. Um, because those, those group of kids may be tied to those guys. And so what I've learned in my experience is – you know, okay, hey, I can come in and I can try to be as patient and calm and laid back as I can, but I have to try to form my own relationship as soon as possible, as quick as possible as I can. And so that way, if I do have to make a staff change or whatever it may be, and that kid is tied to that coach, that that kid is feels comfortable enough to come to me and, and talk to me about it. Yeah, I think the other thing is you got to be true. You got to be true to who you are. True. You do. You really do. Yeah. It's great. Um, Coach Hedrickson, I just really appreciate the relationship we have. And uh, more than that, I appreciate what you've done for the state of Iowa as far as Iowa high school coaches go, especially from someone from the outside who has no real ties to the state uh, other than the work that you've done while you've been here. So uh, I think your work is immeasurable. Um, and then especially since you're African-American and, you know, even even with me serving on Ryan Victor's staff at Missouri Valley, spending a few years on his staff, another African-American coach. We need more Purple Cows that are pioneers uh, in that regard in the state. And uh, I just really appreciate that work that you do. And there's not really a win or loss that gets tagged with it, but it's really valuable to keep our state evolving. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I think my next emoji is going to be like a purple cow. So that's kind of that's, <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm going to tell my sons that the man, I'm like, hey, the guy told me I could be a purple cow. I'm a purple cow. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, like I said, it's 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 a difficult task sometimes, but you know, there's so many great coaches in our state, and the ISCA does a wonderful job trying to get more coaches involved. 
um, and try to, to, to get anyone to, to, to help us out and continue to communicate our cause and serve our kids. Yeah. PJ, man, it was awesome meeting you. Uh, I'll get your number from Coach Tory, and, uh, man, I'll definitely be keeping in contact with you. And, and you know, we're all locked up right now with, with the coronavirus, so uh, we got no time on our hands to, uh, to spend with our families and, and to be uh, better dads and uh, learn to be a better coach in our profession, yep. not just with X's and, O's, X's and O's, but um, in the relationship aspect as well. Uh, I, I got to ask this last question before we go, and we always ask this question. So uh, it's about a carrying trademark, and okay. that's John Gordon's deal. And for Coach Tory during wrestling season, he's going to wear purple uh, shoes. For me, during track season, uh, you notice, Coach Tory, I'm wearing my red today. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have a track season, so I'm, I'm supporting my red in hopes that we're going to have a two-peat this year. Um, I wear red only on championship days. And uh, so our it's question... A it's a Tiger Woods thing, and then... You know, now that they're talking about moving the Masters to October, you might as well just wear red all of October. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so, my my question to you as we go for or as we conclude tonight, um, what is your carrying trademark? Um, ooh, that's that's a really good one. So during football season, I wear football socks that are unique. Um, I've had the same football socks. I've coached for seventeen years. I've had the same football socks for. 15 and they've got a hole in the hill and one's got a hole in the toe and I've had them sewed a couple times I've washed them a couple times I've had a white pair, a black pair and a football pair of green and so away games I wear the white pair home games I wear the black playoffs I wear the green that's and <laughs> awesome that is awesome coach I think that's beyond just a caring trademark. That's a caring system right there. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's just that's who I am. <laughs> Coach, that's got to be the best. And JT, that's got to be the best caring trademark we've had on here so far. It's definitely the most intentional. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well. Yeah, that's, and that's just that's that's me. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of how I. When I talk to people, that's why I say, hey, I'm just who I am. <laughs> well, we love who you are. I'll guarantee Thank you that. You. We love who you are. Uh, man, you. PJ, man, once again, thanks for joining in in the classroom with us uh, this yeah. afternoon. We, we, It was a pleasure having you on. Um, thanks. And, uh, man, anything we can do to help you in the future, you let us know. And, uh, Coach Shore, you have anything before we head out? No, I just appreciate it, PJ, and uh, looking forward to more conversations, more work. All right, thank you guys. Appreciate you.